It's the Healthcare Solutions Project, the podcast where we dive into ideas and innovations that will improve cost, quality, and health outcomes and enhance patient and clinician satisfaction. We are here today because we care about healthcare and because innovators are working to make healthcare better right now. So thank you for listening and being part of the solution. I'm Don Siemens, and I've got to tell you, it's been a busy summer with a lot of changes personally and professionally. All good changes, mind you. One of my children got married, we had a few vacations, I made some decisions in my professional life that really put time on a premium. But I figured out the new normal and now it's time to get down to the business of healthcare innovation. So our guest today is a serial entrepreneur who is bringing the lessons he learned engaging consumers in digital to the healthcare space, Stefan Behrens. Stefan is the CEO and co-founder of Giant, a company that focuses on digital patient journeys to make healthcare better for patients and lower costs for health systems. He has run and invested in a number of successful companies and has nearly a decade of strategic consulting experience. And I'm so pleased to have him on the show today. Stefan, I'm excited to have you here because you're applying the lessons you learned in the digital consumer space to healthcare. Talk to us about your career and how it led you to this industry. So um, I worked as a consultant with large enterprises, typically on marketing and customer care transformations um, and, you know, changing organizational structure, and adopting new business models. And that was kind of the start of my career. But after a good 10 years, um, I, I, I really was itching to get my hands dirty more myself and, and, and start a company or have more influence on a, on, on a company's trajectory by, by getting directly involved. And uh, so I... Uh, ended up leading uh, a video games company uh, in in the consumer space. <laughs> so we were marketing to uh, gamers uh, and actually operating video games uh, that sold virtual items inside of those games as, as a business model. Fascinating, complete departure from consulting, but yeah. uh, fascinating business because you have a lot of transparency on analytics and you know exactly what's going on and, and you can test and, and, and trial run a lot of things to see what works. Yeah, that's a, that's an intriguing start. So, what brought you into the healthcare space? Yeah, after um, after selling that company and and starting another one in the in the direct to consumer space and selling that one, um, I, I really wanted to work on a more meaningful problem. You know, selling virtual swords to gamers and video games uh, <laughs> didn't seem like it was actually solving a problem. <laughs> and uh, we figured, you know, all of this understanding of how how new consumers are, are want to interface with technology and want to get things done. Um, has to have a place in an industry that is lagging behind, you know, probably by 20 years. And and right. healthcare, in some ways, is the most fundamental and and uh, you know high stakes uh, industry for all of us. And it's a problem all around the world. I'm originally from Germany, um, and it, healthcare is is a, is a problem there too. Um, but just as much as it is in, in the U.S. And, and and so we figured there is there and. Number, thousands of problems that, that entrepreneurs can solve in healthcare to make the experience better. And it just felt like a worthy cause to, to dive ourselves into. So we have been seeing a significant amount of tech investment in healthcare. What is it that makes healthcare an attractive market to investors and entrepreneurs like you? Yeah, so one of the things I mentioned already is that I feel healthcare still in many ways is lagging behind. Um, while you have all of these like amazing institutions uh, at the forefront of research, coming up with new, new cures and new medications, and, and now as part of the COVID pandemic, you know, developing uh, vaccines quickly and, and rolling those out, 
where they're actually seriously lacking is is the entire consumer journey, right? Um, a lot of healthcare still operates pretty much like a travel agency in the 1980s, like <laughs> where you went to you know a travel agent, sit in front of a desk, and you fill about a bunch of paper, and then they print a ticket or write a ticket by hand, and then you they give that to you, and then you take that to the airport to travel. And the reality is, if you compare that with travel today, you know you go online, you have one of these comparison sites. You book your tickets. Everything is digital. You have your your boarding pass on your phone. You never you never have a piece of paper in your hand. And if you look at healthcare, there's still many years to go before healthcare catches up to that you know digital consumer experience. And uh, that, that's where I think a lot of opportunity lies for for investment and entrepreneurs such such as as me and companies like ours um, to make make a difference here. Um, not necessarily on on the forefront of of new treatments um, and, and cancer cure, but in just making the entire process a lot easier to navigate for patients and a lot less manual and cumbersome for the people working in healthcare that are suffering from those same problems. You know, I would imagine that selling digital swords to gamers, you know, you've got to have a pretty good idea of what motivates people to make a purchase, right? Uh, if you can be successful in doing something like that. So maybe using that kind of experience as a guide, what may be the biggest lesson that you learned from that previous experience that helped you in healthcare? Yeah, I think it's actually a combination of two separate parts of my, of my background. On one hand, you really need to understand what patient consumers are trying to accomplish and what obstacles they face in their journey and apply lessons learned from other industries, you know, consumer brands, uh, the travel industry, hotels and things like that on what a modern consumer experience looks like and how you can transfer that into healthcare. And, and on the other hand, you're working with these large organizations. Um, most of our customers are, are multi-billion dollar large organizations with 100,000 employees, uh, lots of complex systems. And so you really need to understand kind of the enterprise transformation um, uh, angle and, and understand how, how decisions get made in these large complex organizations to, to make any sort of change possible. Uh, and I think actually my, my you know, first 10 years of my, of my career in consulting um, helped me understand exactly how that works. So it's bringing together these two worlds um, that I think are necessary to, to affect any change because just the technology is not going to cut it. You also face a change uh, in culture and in processes and in workflows, and you need to take people along for the ride inside of the organization to make any any change happen. Mm, that makes complete sense. Was there anything about healthcare that surprised you when you first started Giant? Yeah, it's 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 probably two things. Um, one of them is just the mind-boggling complexity. <laughs> it's, yeah. Everywhere you go, you expect things to be relatively, you know, it, you don't think they should be this complex, but, but they are. And part of that is for some good reason. Um, you know, you're dealing with people's lives, you're dealing with health outcomes. So you want to make sure that there are rules and regulations in place that, you know, ensure the safety of patients and that make sure that healthcare is delivered in an equitable way and, and so on. But just the sheer um, number of, of, of things that people need to do on top of delivering care, I think there's statistics that show that actual doctors and providers probably spend more than half of their time not actually treating patients, but documenting care inside the EMR and, and administrative tasks related to, to billing and documentation. 
right? That, that should not be the, the ratio. And, and so, you know, what we're looking for are ways of making that, taking some of that complexity on and, and automating that so that the, the people delivering the care don't have to worry about it. And then the other big thing um, that, that surprised me is just, there's a lot of things that people agree on everywhere you go, agree on that, yeah, that would be the right thing to do. But because of the financial incentives and the way people are getting paid and the way money flows through the systems from the payers to a bunch of middlemen, ultimately to the providers, um, that's not always what happens. And it's actually really hard to change because of the way the, the reimbursement model or the financial incentives are structured. Mm. And, and that is one of the big obstacles to change. Yeah, I think one of the things that technology is doing is it's taking away the middleman. And, uh, you know, to your point, there are plenty of middlemen in the healthcare space. <laughs> yeah, interestingly for us, it was actually... You know, when we first started out with Giant, like what we were doing, everyone we talked to said, like, yeah, this needs to exist. This is great. This this, this would make it easier for patients. And we're like, great, we're on to something. And then it still took us, you know, a couple of years to figure out how do we turn this into a business hmm. that we can get paid for? Because you need to understand exactly how it fits into the ecosystems, what metric it moves, and how that metric has a financial incentive for you know, a health system or a hospital to adopt a technology like this. Because even if it does the right thing, for example, if, if we keep patients out of the emergency room by, by pointing out other venues of care that might be just as appropriate or even more appropriate to their particular health concern, um, the emergency room is a source of admissions and thus revenue for a lot of health systems. Mm. So um, there are there's some built in challenges sometimes. Well, Stefan, I think you alluded to this in some of your answers, but let's talk specifically about what problem you were trying to solve when you helped found Giant. Yeah. So our mission is to make people better. And that actually has two components. One of them is, is you know, making patients better. So as they go through their healthcare journey, making sure they get better. But another big component of that is making making healthcare better for the people who work in the system, the providers, the nurses, the caregivers, who are, as I mentioned earlier, also suffering from the mind-boggling complexity and the manual uh, tasks that are involved. And um, we do this by automating and optimizing patient journeys. You know, we want to take you know booking an appointment and, and make it as easy as booking a table, an open table, or one of these booking platforms where you, you, you know, you select your, your restaurant, you select a time, you click a button and you have a table booked. And, and the reality is that unfortunately, that's not how it works for getting access to a doctor right now in, in most places. And um, that has two benefits, you know, A, for patients, they, they can get things done on their time um, and they're used to doing this for everything else in their life, <laughs> except healthcare. Mm. Um, and at the same time, you're cutting out probably, you know, five or six phone calls that would otherwise have to happen in order to get that appointment booked in the process and lots of paper forms that need to be filled right? that then somebody has to scan or type into the EMR. So this, this benefits on both sides. And I think that's where we need to go to keep healthcare costs under control um, and, and help, uh, you know, deliver better outcomes for patients in an equitable way. Giant's been in business for a while. Tell us about your innovation stack and how it's evolved over time. Yeah, healthcare, as I mentioned, is really complex. So, you know, you, you learn early on that you may have great uh, ambitions and a great vision, but you really need to start small. Um, pick out something that you can that you can influence, <laughs> that you can mm. show show improvement on, and then build from there. 
And um, interestingly, you know, our, our hypothesis from the beginning was that while healthcare is crazy complex, if you just focus on the whatever, the top 25 things that people go to the doctor for, that's probably 80% of the volume, right? It's, it's mm. the same things as upper respiratory tract infections, uh, urinary tract infections, um, lower back pain. There's some problems that are so universal that, that they make up a large chunk of the volume. And if we can you know, get really good and efficient at dealing with those 25 things, we'll have probably moved the needle um, to a large extent. And then we can move into more complex, uh, complex care. So that, that's really how we approached it. And that's how we started building out our clinical AI and our clinical protocols. And uh, yeah, then, then we've been working from there. Um, and initially it was solving this, you know, this very limited set of problems. Um, and now it's evolved into integrating all, into all sorts of backend systems that, that health systems have, their, their IVR system, their uh, contact center software, their EMR, um, their, their CRM systems, and making sure that it really ties together um, and that you have a, a very seamless workflow and a seamless experience for the patient at the same time. You know, it's no secret that healthcare is complex and consumers need help navigating it. How do you go about simplifying something that has so many layers and such a complicated decision tree? Yeah, as, as I mentioned, I think as you start with some simple things, um, last year, for example, one of the pressing problems that a lot of our customers were facing is that they were just getting overwhelmed with people asking around COVID symptoms or people that had a cough or fever. Hmm. And, you know, it, it, it got so bad that it brought other healthcare delivery activities to a hold because if you're if people are calling in with the same 10 questions and are overwhelming your call center, um, then people who are trying to schedule an appointment, because there's no digital way of doing that, schedule a normal appointment for something for something urgent or they want to see a specialist can no longer get through. Right. So we actually had a lot of success with just focusing on simple solutions to these, you know, high volume problems, get those out of the way, and then and then you can build from there. So maybe you start with simple triage around COVID symptoms and help people understand where they should go to get tested. And then once the test has been performed, you know, those that test negative also inform them in a digital way that they tested negative instead of having a nurse pick up the phone and call them. Right. So it's it's these small things that you get started on. And, uh, you know, my, my, my favorite analogy is here, like, how do you eat an elephant? Not that I would recommend you trying that, but <laughs> it would be in, in, you know, small bite-sized slices and little bits and pieces that you can pick up and chew. So, um, so it's really just chipping away at the problem, like one, one little slice at a time. And, uh, and it, it's a longer journey too. Like, uh, I think we're probably talking about, you know, uh, a decade of you yeah. know, keeping at it to, to add additional use cases and get into more more and more areas of care delivery. Well, I like that approach. You know, digital and AI seem to be the solution everyone is talking about today. Tell us about how you've seen those technologies mature over time and allow you to do what you're doing right now. Yeah, especially I think when people are talking about AI, there's, there's I think, two, there's two flavors that I would like to keep apart. One of them is automating interactions as if you were talking to a human person. So, you know, as if you were picking up the phone and talking to a contact center agent or a nurse. Hmm. And that part of AI is, is part of what we do. So that's, you know, chatbots and, and conversational assistants that help you go through 
um, questions or, or you know, triage and guide you to the right care. And, and, and that's one element of what we, I think people refer to as AI. And then there's a second part, which is actually drawing on large data sets to help make better decisions or predict certain outcomes. And um, I think ultimately in the long run, the second one is, is going to be the more interesting one. Um, but oftentimes these data sets just do not exist or, or they're not, they're not clean. Right. And it's, it's one of those situations where you have garbage in garbage out. If you feed an AI model with a data set that is very biased or is not clean, then you're also going to get results that are biased and, and not clean. And um, I think what, but, but that has, that I think healthcare providers are increasingly realizing that they they're sitting on a on a on a treasure chest of of data in their EMRs about patient outcomes and what treatments have what effect. It's just that that data is is still um, largely inaccessible because it is in the form of text and 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 you know one doctor writes a particular progress node in this way and another doctor writes it in a different way and the, the, it's it's difficult to extract the data in a way that makes it meaningful for training AI models and machine learning models. Hmm. But um, I think, you know, we're, we're on the right path and I think we'll see a lot of, uh, a lot of very interesting and, and, and cool developments in this area. And, and, and this may be a little bit controversial, but um, if I think about where this is going to be 10 years from now, I'm sure for some, uh, for some applications, we're going to see AI models that are probably safer and, and better than than human performance. Like if you look at certain radiology um, applications uh, with with uh, machine learning models that that can scan radiology images, um, I, I'm sure we're already almost there. Right, and and that changes completely the role of how providers and specialists are using this technology and, and what they do. They will no longer be reading images. They will be working with the model to make sure that the model does the right thing. Right, or training a model and and that 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 will be really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Your company has seen some rapid growth over the COVID pandemic. Tell us about your company's experience with COVID and maybe share some thoughts about how this experience might disrupt healthcare going forward. Yeah, I think I think COVID actually for us was was like pouring fuel on on a on a fire <laughs> um, because it it kind of it accelerated adoption of new technology on a scale that I think we hadn't seen before. You know, health systems were slow to adopt new technology before, um, but they were doing it at, at their pace. And then last year, we just probably, we saw five or six years of, of technology um, adoption happening in the span of, of not even 12 months. Uh, and it's because they had no choice, right? All of a sudden you have patients at home that can come in or it's not safe and and you have to adopt telemedicine mm. and you have to adopt these these like virtual visits that have been around for a long time but we're not getting the sort of traction or, or utilization that you would expect and at the same time you have to build these sort of contactless check-in uh, options for for patients to show up uh, you know at, at, at the physical office if they have to come in and and so i think what this did for the entire industry is just push us along probably a couple of years in, in terms of technology adoption and what we see with a lot of our customers is that they're now rethinking their investment priorities for the future because it used to be all about where can i build a new clinic somewhere so that i can capture more patients into my system where do i need to build the next urgent care and i think the reality is now uh, you know a lot of patient journeys start on google or start mm -hmm. on the browser yeah. and not by getting in the car and driving to an urgent care. 
and and that reality is beginning to sink in and i think that that is going to be an investment area and, and a rethink if you want to be relevant as a health system going forward you need to figure out how to make yourself more accessible for consumers and and easier for patients to navigate and and, and go to you choose you instead of going somewhere else right or cvs or walgreens yeah that is a problem that needs to be solved on a uh on a, on a micro scale for a lot of organizations, for sure. So, Stefan, as someone who grew up in Germany, with ex- so you you have experience with healthcare outside the U.S. How would you characterize the benefits and drawbacks of this country's healthcare system? Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting question. I think um, one of the things that strikes me, and, and also probably because of of uh, just Interacting with a lot of top-notch healthcare systems over the last couple of couple of years, as as I was building Giant, what strikes me is just the incredible depth and quality of care delivery that you have here in the U.S. You have access to the best possible care for the most advanced treatments and technologies and cancer transplant technology surgery. It's it's really it's 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 amazing. And at the same time, you know, if you look at like the OECD countries, for example, the U.S. has actually, you know, relatively mediocre outcomes on a population level. And, and like these two point facts did, 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 did <laughs> are hard to reconcile, but mm. I think it's a function of if you can afford it or if you work for a company that has a good health plan, you have access to the best possible care in the world. Right. You can go to Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, UCSF, all these right. great places in Stanford you know, where, where they do all the, the, the really advanced stuff. But if you are unemployed or if you don't you know, have access to the right plan, then all of a sudden you face co-pays that are hurdles. You have a lot of out-of-pocket costs that people can't afford. Um, and as a, as a result of, of them not being able to afford the right plans, they have these high deductible plans, so they have to make trade-offs between putting food on the table and getting the right health care, right? Mm-hmm. Or you have people that go bankrupt because they had surgery. Um, and that's, I think that's one of the, the challenges that, um, that this, this country faces in this. It's just that health outcomes are so inequitable. Um, and um, that's, that's probably the biggest difference if I look at um, companies in, uh, sorry, countries in Europe and, and the system there. You have probably less top-notch care on the, on the front end um, but then, you know, ultimately, it's it's a lot more equitable and accessible for everyone. If you could change one thing about healthcare in the United States, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be about it would have to be about how to get more people access to to the system. Um, the fact that for a lot of Americans, going to the ED is like their default way of receiving care because they don't have any other options or they can't afford a fifty dollar copay for a telemedicine visit. Right. That just has to change. It's not good for the health systems. It's not good for the patients. Um, and but I think the only player that has a chance to make make any difference here is is the government, right? So it has to be either on a federal or state level where somebody steps up and and fixes this. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, um, I, I think there's so much in terms of how divided this country is. I it's it's divided almost down the middle and and healthcare is one of those areas where it's completely divided where you know you've got people who recognize the problem the problem with access but the solutions 
I don't know, they just coming up with the, the solution that is going to make everyone happy, uh, that's going to be uniquely American and you know, keep physicians, you know, still taking patients, taking patients that don't have great yeah. insurance. Yeah, uh, I think that's, there, there's that's just some the complex problems that are hard to hard to to fix. I think that's one of the challenges. There's just no broad consensus on this topic, right? Yeah. Um, if I look at Germany, where I'm a little bit more familiar with the political um, system, and you know, you have a lot of different parties, and they lean in very different directions. You have the conservative on the right, and you have the, the leftists and, and and the social democrats mm. on the other side, and they disagree on a lot of things. But there's very broad consensus across all parties of the political spectrum that everyone should have access to healthcare, and thus you have you know essentially a government-sponsored healthcare system that gives you access to you know basic level of care. It doesn't mm. mean you get you know the, the gold-plated, the gold-plated high-end surgery and, and, and prosthetics and things like that. But everyone right. should have access to basic level of healthcare to keep them healthy. And then if you want to pay for for additional services or a different level of care, great, you can do that and increase you know access to to more advanced things, but um, th there's no there's no discussion about that. And I think that's what's different here is that you look at the, at the political spectrum and there's no no consensus, and that's what what probably makes it challenging. Yeah, I look forward to having more conversations like this. I think that, uh, gosh, I hope I hope we can have that kind of a culture within the U.S. And I think what I'm seeing is. You know, there, there's less of less opportunity to have conversations uh, for, from people who have, have different political leanings, have different philosophical leanings. You know, but I do think that most people looking at this at this problem would, would agree about the problem itself, right? And I, I hope that that our environment can heal to the point where we can have conversations that talk about public policy and how private organizations can fit into the mix talk about you know what not just what government organizations should do and what healthcare organizations should do but what the what's the responsibility of the the patient yeah to to keep their keep them keep themselves healthy yeah I mean, if you just look at the last couple of months, just the, the way that even simple public health measures around COVID are so politicized mm. um, that it's difficult to have you know, a rational debate about them. That's that part's really hard. Um, yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think it, it will start by just, uh, I don't know, probably just... <laughs> ramping down the, the the emotions a bit around this topic and uh and looking at looking at the data and, and public health outcomes and then hopefully we can agree on on certain things that that make sense to everyone just like we agree that wearing a seatbelt when you're driving a car right uh, is is something that makes sense right even if it restricts your freedom of movement in your seat uh, and how we shouldn't have people drive cars without a license and without insurance. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. so there should be a basic minimum standard that we can all agree on. Uh, and then the rest is up to personal responsibility. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Stefan, it's been a great conversation. Thank you for taking the time. If people want to learn more, if our listeners want to learn more about what you're up to, how can they get in touch with you and learn more about your company? 
Yeah, the easiest way is to go to our website and that's giant.com, G-Y-A-N-T.com or find me on LinkedIn. It's Stefan Behrens, S-T-E-F-A-N-B-E-H-R-E-N-S. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. Great, Stefan. Thanks again and keep up the great work. Thank you, Don. Always a pleasure. 